Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. A returning guest and a brand new group on today's show. Coming up later in the program, Maricela Arce with the Texas Tuition Promise Fund joins me in studio to talk about this excellent program that helps families and students save a lot of money on college tuition. We're going to start things off with the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. Monica Field is their chief philanthropy and operating officer. How are you today? Hi, how are you, Nick? Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, Aaliyah Henry, friend of the show, recommended you for an interview. Got you in as fast as I could. Luckily, here you are. <laughs> Let's talk about this organization and what you guys do. Yes, this organization is very dear to my heart. I've been with this organization for past um, 12 or 13 years. So I'm kind of a dinosaur in that agency. So any historic information, please come. You don't need to okay. dig archives. I'm there for you. <laughs> you are the living archive <laughs> exactly. of the organization. Yes, yes. But I've moved from a volunteer to board member to the staff. So it has been a, a great learning uh, journey for me personally, as well as growth of the organization so uh, in it was established in 2005 and by 2008 um, we were looking at part-time people working for us and then 2010 we were hiring full-time fast forward this year is our 15th year anniversary and we are sitting at 40 plus employees full-time and part-time so we really mushroomed like nobody's that's business. crazy yes. that's a lot bigger than i would have guessed right you were with the organization almost from the beginning very exactly. early let's you know, say when they said i wasn't part of the founding members but i rushed as soon as i heard <laughs> so yes what brought you to the organization initially it, uh, the mission always spoke to me because the mission is empowering women. And I think when you empower women in whatever way, whether you know you teach them a few things or you do intervention services, you empower a woman, it means you're empowering the family and then community. So that part is very important that that woman has to have decision-making powers. No matter what her um, arena of decision-making is, let her learn those skills. So that to me, has been very important in my life mm. as well as uh, the mission of Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. So that brought me in. How did you initially find out about it? 
believe it or not, it was Google search. And it was because <laughs> <laughs> I was um, looking for an organization for my daughter to volunteer in. She was um, in elementary school at that time. Hmm. And I wanted her to see um, an organization which was um, not too much heavy on faith-based, but serving everyone. Because faith tells you to serve whoever is there. So to me, uh, and when I saw their mission, it really spoke to me. So first thing was, you know what, I want my daughter to volunteer. And while I'm sitting in the car, let me volunteer also. <laughs> and then the rest is history. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you already brought it up. We were going to get to it. One of the things that you mentioned to me off air was that this is not an organization for just Muslim women. This is an organization for anybody that needs help. That's the 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 root mission I would say of this organization. Absolutely, and uh, that is one of the reasons why I am still here. It's basically I love the fact that when the founding members created this organization, they said, "Well, we have issues like domestic violence or youth leadership or what have you, but these are across the board. So it's not just Muslim women. So we want to show that Muslim women are so strong and powerful that we can make a change. But it is for everyone." That, for me, was very important. Um, they looked at Catholic charities, mm. right? That was a prime example of, you know, yeah. you are guided by your faith, but then it is not restricted to only one faith. That's what I have found with a lot of the organizations that I interview. There mm. is a religious component somewhere in there. Right. But even in half-hour-long conversations, mm. it really doesn't come up much at all. And right. it's something that I like. You're using your faith to complete a mission of some sort Absolutely. and and that's really what you're doing that's the focus and i think that that's maybe religion at its best correct and then you also have to realize in especially in the arena of domestic violence faith any faith is misused the the context is misused for uh, by the abusers mm. so it can be muslims or christians or whoever you name it the sacred text is always misused by abusers so you have to tackle it partly from faith perspective anyway because that is what some of the abusers are using what is your background have you worked with nonprofits or charities in the past uh, before this yes uh, a little bit of uh, volunteering with a lot of nonprofit back home also uh, as well as um, in Texas so there's another organization called Texas Interfaith um, mm. they um, so I worked with them as well as uh, you know managing their program and serving the underserved population so I work with them as well would you say it's been a part of your family is this a family endeavor definitely Definitely, because, uh, you know, uh, anytime I can pull my kids and, of course, my husband, they've been voluntold many times that they've forgotten the count. But <laughs> Yes. And in fact, I'll tell you an insider joke. My husband wouldn't change the car because I had that truck and he would be like, you're hauling one, uh, uh, you know, um, donations from another organization. Why would I buy you a new car? <laughs> so for the longest, I was carrying an old truck. <laughs> I mean, he does kind of have a point, but then I, I can also see it from your side, too. Yes. Uh, I, I think that does make sense. Where did you, you haven't mentioned it yet, where are you from and, and what did you do first in your in your first charitable endeavor? First charitable endeavor. I think that was, 
we have learned again i guess part of our faith and our family um ethics that you know you you have if you're living a life and you're blessed in any way you have to serve there is no life if you don't hmm. serve so that part has always been part, you know uh, growing up um and in parenting and philanthropy was not so organized in our parents generation it used to be somebody's coming they're needy okay hand them money go you'll do it so it was not as organized as it is right now so i think that um was a childhood thing that i've learned that whoever is coming for help you help them so it's right now it has moved more into strategy it's more streamlined exactly are you a very organized personality I'll, do you like do you like I'll, order i may take a fifth on that but yes <laughs> that's a yes <laughs> That's absolutely a yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I, I love talking to people that start out a, a, in an organization volunteering, or maybe they were partaking in the services, and then they move through that organization. I think it right. gives them the best understanding that you could have of right. an organization, and it turns you into a better leader. So you started with your daughter mm-hmm. volunteering here at the organization. When did you decide that you needed to be more involved? I think it was uh starting off because when I joined at that time it was a all volunteer run organization and the dream was okay let's let's have a first shelter and that needed a lot of business uh behind it working on the business module and how to grow I'm very process oriented person so for me process is very important so I I bought into the bigger dream of yes we need a shelter. Mm. Yes, we need fundraising. So how do we create structures around it because you know um non-profits do start and if they don't grow with the structure then after after there is no growth after a certain level. Right. So that was part of my my work and I love organizing things so I have always been working in the background making sure the systems are okay the systems are running how the growth is projected so that has been my uh, expertise and I love doing that. Yeah. Um so when when the shelter conversation started to happen it was a very um it was not an easy thing especially within our community and i would say all faith based communities but i'm talking about 10 years ago when you would go to a faith leader and you would ask them that you know okay here's my flyer this is about domestic violence so you know if somebody's coming into a mosque or a church please have these flyers ready and we would hear that um no domestic violence doesn't exist in our community why would you we air dirty laundry outside this is not on you guys are breaking families mm and we chipped at it we kept on so our focus was educate people first was that an expected reaction or did that reaction bolster you and make you want to work harder for this organization absolutely it was you know education is the key no matter which topic you take mm. right anything that people are not expect it is happening there is no denying the of numbers course. numbers show of numbers course. have stories So it is happening. So it is just about education and connecting the dots for a lot of people. And believe it or not, um we chipped at it for a number of years and fast forward and 15 years now we have almost all of the mosques, major mosques in DFW working with us. They do um uh a Sunday well Friday sermon for us. and um anytime they have signed a zero tolerance in their mosque if somebody goes through domestic violence 
we've come a long way. We really have. I, I'm sure it's a long answer, but what, in your opinion, was the change? Um, I would say a couple of things, and I'll try to shorten it. One is education for sure. And then we we did not make this about women's issue. This is a family affair. This is a family issue. That spoke to a lot of people. The message became, we're not helping women, we're helping families. There you go. Yes. <laughs> and that's really what took. Yes. Yes. Okay. What is your professional background? You said that you like to organize things and get things moving together. What do you do professionally? Or what is your background, I, at least? Uh, it was business development. Business development. Yeah. <laughs> So Funny. literally what we're talking about, <laughs> the exact thing. Right. I right. like it when it's just a, a straight line. There's no meandering. It's just no, boom. Life this is, is what simple. I do. <laughs> there you go. Life is simple. Like we said, from volunteer to mm -hmm. part-time employee, mm -hmm. what did you start doing when you became an actual employee of the organization? Where did you start your focus? I think I was hired at the time where we were getting our first grant. So we have been partnering with other foundations locally. And one of our greatest cheerleader has been uh, Texas Women's Foundation, mm -hmm. previously known as Dallas Women's Foundation. Yeah. They have been our cheerleaders since day one. And they really uh, helped us go to another level. So, you know, in 2008 and nine, along those times, they said, why don't you apply for a certain grant? And that was a Robert Wood Johnson grant, which is a nationwide. And they were investing in Texas. And they wanted to, uh, to work on a bigger model because Robert Wood Johnson is a healthcare um, foundation. And they treated mental health or domestic violence as a health care issue. So that was their angle. And they spoke with uh, Texas Women's Foundation and they said, well, why don't you guys apply for this? And we were like, what, what, how do you spell grant? How, <laughs> what do you do? And they walked us uh, every step of the way. They supported us. They were our connection with Robert Wood Johnson. So when that came in, that was the time when we hired our first three employees and I was one of the three. Okay. That meant more work and actively working on the shelter. So I think that gave us focus and that gave us, uh, you know, okay, now this is not just mom and pop. We are not newbies. We are moving into staffing positions. So I think that gave us a new um, breath I, I, I normally like to ask organizations when the explosion happened. It's obviously happened, you know, for you guys. And that's what you're saying. That That's when it happened. Correct. The responsibility that you're talking about that you guys immediately felt, all yes. three employees of you. Right. Some people do not like that feeling. Other people thrive on that feeling. Is that, mm -hmm. would you describe the organization in, in that way, really taking that responsibility and saying, it's on our shoulders now, we have no choice but to move forward and hard. Absolutely. Because, see, the the, uh, the founders or the founding members were basing their uh, causes on community feedback. So this was formed after 9-11 where the community was screaming that, you know, okay, we need uh, shelter. We need our youth uh, to be in the leadership positions or leadership roles. So this was a community-based, and it still is community-based. Mm. We rely very, very heavily on feedbacks. We rely very heavy on where the need is. We're going into now maybe refugee program because that seems to be the need. Mm. So we we have been expanding and we have been growing, not because there are few people in the room, the leadership, they decide what the direction should be, mm -hmm. but it is reverse, what the community needs, and then we, we are servants, we provide. You are responding to what people exactly. need. Did the organization start as, as a women's shelter 
I was looking at the website, mm-hmm. which once again is tmwf.org. You provide a lot of different services, and we awesome. will we will discuss that. I want to figure mm-hmm. out exactly what you guys are doing. But it seems like it started with a shelter, and then through listening to the community, you expanded. Is that roughly? Um, well, kind works? of because so when the founders uh, they were sitting and uh, they were they realized that you know after nine eleven where is our identity because whatever is being shown on TV or social media that is not our identity mm. and that that is not our religion what we practice so that became the conversational uh, you know of conversation with the founders and then they went around in the community asking what are our needs where what are we going through. So domestic violence became, social services became first priority. A lot of women were not going to the mainstream shelters because they, the lack of language, culture understanding. So they were going back to their abusers. So reporting was not being done. Second was the youth because they were so bullied and traumatized. Um, other people bullying them, oh, you're a Muslim, you know, you are terrorist. So that part was hurting the community. So there were a lot of issues. And then the third was senior citizens. Where do they fit in into this entire role mm. of post 9-11? So this is a post 9-11 conversation and the founders um, sat down in detail and had, had these kind of need informal need assessment. And social service became a priority organically. So we set aside, okay, let's first establish shelter. Let's set aside social services first. Then came youth leadership. Then we probably will be working on seniors. So all these are part of, uh, you know, um, initial thought. But, you know, we have to tackle one step at a time. We have to go one, you know, one step at a time. And speaking of growth, um, right now we have two shelters. And we have uh, 27 transitional apartments. So from 2000, and our first shelter opened in 2012. So from 2012 to 2020, this is where we are. Small amount of growth. Just barely, barely (laughs) moving the needle. Exactly. (laughs) I hardly work. (laughs) Does the organization still have to work on, let's say, misunderstandings uh, about the community? Is that something that the organization still focuses on? Or are you guys able to focus more on your stated mission? Both. Both? (laughs) Yes, both. Because, again, uh, you know, um, we are so service-driven that we don't have any... um, any marketing uh, budgets. Mm. So whoever comes to us, we beg them and we say, please, you know, okay, interview, yes, like you. We, no matter what it takes, we will talk. So it's uh, it's kind of a reverse thing. We do not uh, have the time or the bandwidth to reach out and work on the marketing side of things. We go and we do a lot of uh, talks in churches. We do a lot of conversations in mosques with um, law enforcement, we train law enforcement. So we do that, but it's mostly invitation only. Because like I said, every day I'm down, we are all down in the weeds working on the work. So that's where we are at. So Monica Field is the Chief mm-hmm. Philanthropy and Operating Officer of the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. You can find them online at tmwf.org. Let's talk about the services that you provide. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because there are a lot of them. I, I'll just I'll ask you just to start off yes. where you would like. What is the first program and or service that you feel like talking about? Absolutely. The two shelters, social services. That is our uh, prime program. 
And in social services, we have prevention and we have intervention. So we go out and, for example, this radio show, other radio shows, um, other uh, workshops with law enforcement, that is all on prevention side. Because intervention can happen at a certain level, but we have to focus on prevention. Mm. Prevention is the single most important thing for us as well. So, and then on on intervention side, we have, like I said, two shelters. We can house up to 24 plus women. These are uh, emergency shelters. They come through our hotline. They come through police, law enforcement, and community members. So that's the uh, two shelters. Then after that shelter, these ladies move into transitional housing, which is you know 18 months, three months of housing relief that they get before they go on to their own um, homes, apartments, wherever they are you know right. established. So these are the two steps for um, our clients to move in. Now, during that time, the minute uh, a client comes in, we have uh, one person designated to one client, which is a case manager. Case manager becomes their best friend. All resources are uh, coming through the case manager. That client may need counseling or play therapy. We have counselors and play therapy. That client may need uh, immigration or family attorney. We have two of them at our um, at the organization. So these are some of the services, like a very overarching umbrella services. The case manager is the key to this because they will uh, find resources for you. They will do ESL classes for you. They will um, uh, look for work. They will do your um, prepare you for job interview. Resumes. Resumes. Um, finding resources. Because a lot of these women, when they come into the shelter, they may have just not even a bag mm. on their shoulder. So from day one, what do you need? So they are the ones filling in everything that the client needs. Um, we um, and few things see along the road we realized what are some key issues when uh, women go through domestic violence so one of the key that is coming up is economic independence financial literacy a lot of women will not leave the abuser because of you know not knowing what a bank account should look like mm. so our programs are now being centered centered with the programs um, like financial literacy, we do. We are starting one-on-one -on -one individual counseling and explaining what does a budget look like. What is checking versus saving? What is 1099 versus W-2? Simple things, very simple things. So that is case management. We call that a case management. And then um, once they go through counseling, so what happens is even after transitional housing, let's say they've moved into their own home, but they still need counseling, we will work with them. Uh, they need uh, a lot of times, you know, the um, attorneys and they take longer time for the paperwork to fill in. So the clients will work with them even when they leave the shelter. Mm. So our our purpose is by the time they come in, we we work on their trauma because we're trauma-informed agency. We work on their trauma and then slowly rehabilitate them to wherever they want to go and make sure that they are able, they're, you know, they're on their feet, alone, children, wherever. So they pick, they do their own benchmarking. They create their own roadmap. We are there to gently help them in whatever way we can. 
You mentioned ESL class is also a refugee program. Yes. Are there certain areas of the world or countries that you guys are seeing a lot of clients from? I'm not sure, honestly, about the Muslim community in Dallas and what the makeup is. What are you guys seeing? Of course, the organization mm-hmm. helps anyone. Right. Uh, but within that, is there is there anything that stands out, let's say? I'll tell you, we. Uh, I would still say we still are under the rock. <laughs> we are not out in the community. <laughs> but... Um, we uh, we are really well embedded with within the law enforcement and other shelters. Okay. They are well aware of our services. Now, when we speak about our services, one thing that I would want to point out is when we say we're trauma-informed, um, we, in our office, we have 15-plus languages spoken at our office. So with a staff of 40 members, you know, on average, people speak two languages. That's very common. Now, what happens time and again, what we've realized that when uh, uh, when somebody who goes through trauma, they if they speak in their own language and if they're sitting across somebody they are, who they think understands the culture, the trauma of those events or series of events or what, whatever they've gone through, um, the recovery is faster. I think that... Makes sense. If I had to explain to someone in a language that wasn't my first language something traumatic, it would be extremely difficult. Right. And it would be very frustrating. And I could see you clamming up and you wouldn't want to maybe express it. It it would just make a difficult situation even more difficult. And add a layer of uh, external external, uh, trauma of, yes, these are um, stereotyping of Muslims. So add that, uh, yeah. you know, uh, add another trauma to that. So multiple layers of trauma. Now, in terms of where, uh, you know, we 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 do not ask people about their race or religion because we are non-denominational. We do not discriminate. So you know, we don't have any uh, numbers of okay. We are getting certain nationalities or certain uh, you know cultures that are coming forward. It's everyone at this point. Um, we have had, we actually had a decline of hotline numbers um, in 2016 because of what happens. So whatever happens politically, nationwide, Texas-wide, we are affected But because there is a trickle-down effect. So in 2016, right after elections, our hotlines dropped because the abusers were threatening a lot of survivors, a lot of victims about, you know, we'll call ISIS on you. We will call uh, police on you. They were not reporting. They were not going out. So that that had a serious effect on our clients. They were not coming out. Did you notice that real time? Did you yes, see it as have, it was happening? Yes, because we um, we have a lot of grants. We report. We do. You know, every month we have. Uh, numbers that show us and that has been because we went informally around in the community asking what has happened why so the informal conversations brought us that conversation. another thing that you are able to get from the community not only programs and services provided literally what's happening to them and where they live and then you're able yes. to adjust the organization absolutely. through that absolutely absolutely so you know we a uh, lot of times uh, the legal help that, uh, you know, that we uh, work with, that changes on what is the current situation nationally and locally. So services change, and we have to be cognizant of, you know, what is happening 
uh, in a broader picture at any given time. Let's talk about volunteers and what yes. the organization needs. You do have uh, a staff, but I have mm-hmm. to imagine that yes. you guys rely heavily on volunteers. If people want to be a part of this organization, that capacity, yeah. uh, what do you need? What could people do for the organization? Well, what I need is a couple of million dollars. <laughs> if anybody just wants to volunteer those. <laughs> <laughs> That's welcome. So, um, but, uh, you know, any any time we are always looking for volunteers and we are at a stage where we need more specialized volunteers, mm. meaning that, you know, somebody who has an expertise in human resources, somebody who has finance background. So those kind of volunteers are really appreciated. And then at the same time, um, like I said, we have a refugee empowerment program also. So uh, we have teachers, we have um uh, some people who can give us English as we have a curriculum, you know, they can come in. So what happens is that you teach ESL, but that means nothing to them. But what the difference or the tipping point for us is, okay, we give them uh, simple living resources. Okay, if you go to an, an apartment, this is how um, a contract should look like. Let's read English on that. Let's read English. Here's your 1099. So we don't call it exactly ESL, but again, it is you know, teaching them. I really like how focused the organization seems to be on on essentials. Yes. Let's get a resume going. Let's get you in a job. Let's get you figured out on taxes, on bank statements. Absolutely. It's not just random things that might help a person. Mm-hmm. It is the most important things to do mm-hmm. to establish a human being right. uh, as an individual or a family to get somebody on their feet and fast. That really seems to be the focus. Absolutely. You have to believe in human dignity. And with this population, that's the first thing that abusers would take. No dignity. There are a lot of clients who come through our uh, shelter. They cannot even imagine what their next meal is going to be like. So giving them simple tools. What we do at our shelter is every Friday, um, the house manager would sit with the clients and ask them, what would you like to have? Can you create menu? So simple things or simple decision-making, we start at that level where they start, you know, one fine day, they're in the shelter and they have to decide for their own self, which is something that has been taken away from them. So simple, small steps, that's human dignity. The organization is the Texas Muslim Women's <laughs> Foundation. You guys have an event happening on March 5th, which is yes. International Women's Day. It's a yes. luncheon celebrating that. It starts at 1130, goes till 1 p.m. over at the Prestonwood Country Club. If you want details, find it on their Facebook page or, of mm-hmm. course, on the website tmwf.org. Unbelievably, we have already blasted through half an no, hour. I don't think that we've talked enough, so yes. I will invite you to come yes. back again. I'd love to have you back in. Mona Kafil is the Chief Philanthropy and Operating Officer for the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. One more time, their website, tmwf.org, and their phone numbers, the 24-7 Family Violence Hotline, 972-880-4192. If you want to reach them at the main office, 469 Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me over. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.